name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and uh, we are starting a new series called Vivid this morning, looking at the book of Colossians. Let me invite you to stand with me as we read um, Colossians 1, and we're going to read verses 15 through 20. Let's listen to God's word. Talking about Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, that, sorry, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see the glory of your Son, Jesus, in this um, beautiful, moving passage. Would you move in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. This week I saw a video, and it was a video of a colorblind man. He got a pair of glasses that allowed him to see color for the first time. Uh, I'm not colorblind, I don't know, um, I, I did a little research. I think statistically there's probably one colorblind man in the room, but don't raise your hand. Um, but I don't know that much about being colorblind, maybe you don't, um, but red, red, green, colorblindness, it doesn't mean that you don't see color at all, but that you have a hard time distinguishing between colors and tend to see the world in more muted tones that red and green sort of blur together and. I think there's probably a lot more brown than red and green. And um, there's a company called, um, I forget the name of the company, but they've created this pair of glasses that allows, uh, sort of alleviates color blindness, uh, at least red-green color blindness. And, um, and this, so this man, for his birthday, his sister bought him a pair of these glasses and videoed him taking them out of the package and putting them on for the first time. And watching this man who's really his whole life has kind of been grays and browns see color for the first time is just, you know, I mean, he's moved. It, even watching him is incredibly emotional. Uh, his kids are there, and he looks at his little girl who's got this bright purple jacket on, and he's just overwhelmed and to see his, you know, the color in his kids' eyes for the first time. He sits down in the parking lot and takes the glasses off, but he's just crying because he's so, um, he's so overwhelmed. Can you imagine what it would be like to see all of your life in black and white and then to put on a pair of glasses and for the first time to see color and just see the world come to life in a new way? Well, the Apostle Paul is saying that that is something of the experience that Christians have um, what Paul is telling us in this passage is that when we receive new life in Christ, Jesus isn't like a, something that gets added on to everything else in your life, um, but seeing Jesus for who he really is enables you to see everything else 
in your life in a new and more full, deep, rich way. Seeing Jesus for who he really is, we begin to see everything in a new way. In verse 13, I didn't read this, but um, just a couple verses before, it says that God has delivered us, meaning Christians, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. I feel like he didn't quite say there what I wanted him to say. <laughs> I wanted him to say, and I think this point still stands, right? He's saying that becoming a Christian is like being transferred from darkness into light. Um, that, that we've lived our lives not being unable to see, but everything's muted. And it's like somebody turns the lights on and we can see things as they really are. Or maybe another way to, to say it is that apart from Jesus we sort of see everything on our life as it relates to us, self-referentially. And it's as we see Jesus for who he really is that we begin to see all of life, not just as it relates to us, but as it really and truly is. And so um, as we start this, uh, this, this short series we're going to do in the book of Colossians this morning, uh, what I want to do is, is this. I want to give you one truth. And um, this truth... Um, it's like a set of lenses to see the entire world through. Uh, so one truth and then two implications. So kind of the prescription, but then I want to help us like put the glasses on for a minute too. Uh, and so the first truth, the truth that I want you to see is this. I want you to see the majesty and supremacy of Jesus. Um, the, the, the preeminence of Jesus, the college that um, Ashley and I went to, the motto... It's, you know, it's a college motto, so it's got to be in Latin. And the, the motto, I just looked it up this morning, was Christus Primatum Tenens, um, which I remember the chaplain saying does not mean Christ plays tennis. Um, Christ preeminent in all things. The glory of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the, the primacy, the preeminence of Jesus. Uh, this passage shows us in, in breathtaking language, um, Scholars sort of, you know, think, are inclined to believe that this, what Paul is quoting here is probably a, a song that early Christians sang um, because it's so poetic and it's moving. Um, the glory of Jesus. I mean, uh, just a simple way to say this is what this passage is telling us, the truth that, that this passage is telling us is that Jesus is God. But saying it like that is, you know, you've all heard somebody say that, even if you don't believe it, a million times, right? Um, but the truth of this passage is that Jesus is God. Um, verse 25, um, it calls him the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Now, some people have kind of pounced on that. See, see the Bible is actually saying that Jesus is born. Um, that, that Jesus, people would try to say, that what this is saying is that of all the things that God made, Jesus was the first thing that Jesus made, or that God made. So Jesus can't be fully God because he was made by God. Um, but another way to translate this passage would be to say that he is the firstborn over all creation. Because everything else the passage says uh, about Jesus makes it clear that Jesus must be God uh, in, in every full and true and complete sense. Um, it doesn't say that Jesus is the first thing that God created. It says that everything was created by him and through him and for him. So if Jesus is the, if everything, if Jesus created everything, he can't be created himself, right? Uh, it says that Jesus was in the beginning and that everything that has a beginning begins in him. 
Um, so he existed before the beginning. So he couldn't have began if he was the one who began everything, right? I'm going to get tongue-tied if I say that again. <laughs> so why does it say he was the firstborn? Well, I mean, I think it's kind of lost on us, but everybody in the ancient world knew that the firstborn was the heir. Um, and to be the firstborn meant that you know, everything your father had, wealth, status, privilege, was transferred to the firstborn. And so to say that Jesus is the firstborn is to say that he is exactly equal in power and status and authority and majesty as his father, as God himself. There's a guy named Bart Ehrman. Um, some of you may be familiar with his name. He's a professor at um, UNC Chapel Hill. And he was raised a Christian, but he sort of made a, uh, a name for himself trying to, trying to you know, disprove or make Christians feel silly, I think is what he's trying to do. Uh, he, does, he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. And he, and he, goes, he was on the, um, the Colbert Report um, a couple of years ago talking with Stephen Colbert, who was a Christian, um, about his new book that, in which he tries to say that the Bible never says that Jesus is God. And um, Stephen Colbert, if you don't know, is a satirist. And um, he says to Bart Ehrman, the biblical scholar who doesn't believe in the Bible, he says, okay, does the Bible say Jesus is God? Bart Ehrman says, no. It says he's the son of God. And Stephen Colbert says, what's the son of a duck? He says, a duck? <laughs> and Colbert says, well, if he walks like a duck, and he quacks like a duck, and he raises from the dead like a duck, <laughs> then what is he? <laughs> right? Um, <coughs> Jesus is God. <laughs> So Paul's saying that he is absolutely equal with God the Father. He has no beginning. He created everything. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 19 that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. Um, you know, we have four kids and we, we get in these conversations in the car where my kids say heretical things because they don't know any better. Um, and we don't say them because we're just embarrassed about it. But they ask great questions. And they're like, um, uh, oh, so there's two gods, right? Like, well, what? Hold on. What do you mean? Well, there's God, but then Jesus is also God, right? And they always forget about the Holy Spirit. So we have this, like, lesson on the Trinity while I'm trying to keep the car on the road. Um, but there's this, this idea that, like, well, there's God, but then there's Jesus. And Jesus is also God, but, but there's God, God, and then there's Jesus, God, right? And what it's saying in this path, the, the mystery of what Paul is saying in this passage is that when Jesus shows up, the fullness of God is there. Um, that, that Jesus doesn't have like one-third of the God pie. But that when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, you've got God in his fullness. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all present in the presence of Jesus. The wonder and the, the majesty and the mystery of the Trinity. Okay, so this is what Paul is saying about Jesus. But then there's another twist and, um, you know, there's the majesty of Jesus. He's the firstborn. He's the creator. He's the fullness of God. And then in verse 18, it says, he died. A real God without beginning and dead. He didn't begin, but then he was dead. And so that's the truth. The majesty of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, preeminence of Jesus, the mystery of Jesus, but then the death of Jesus. Okay, so that's the truth that I want you to see. That's the prescription. But now, if we can, just 
try to put the lenses on and talk about two implications. What does that actually mean for us? And the first thing that I want you to see is that if Jesus is God, it means that he's the starting point. It means he's the starting point. Uh, imagine that you're living your life and things are going, you know, like everything's fine, right? Everything in our lives is fine. <laughs> Remember, like, if I say, how are you? Either busy or fine. Those are your, your answers. Everything's fine. Work's okay. Kids are pretty good. Marriage is plugging along. Everything's fine. Um, and maybe you're talking with a friend and you're saying, yeah, I'm doing all these things and everything's fine. And your friend goes, ah, I know what you need. And then fill in that blank with anything. Um, like kale. You need more kale in your life. Or you need more CrossFit in your life. Or you need a good vacation. Or you need essential oils we have recently found out in our house. I can't wait to get rid of the essential oils. They're not that essential to my life. I'm just trying to one-up my wife on this one. You need a new hobby, you need a new diet. Um, you know, and you need something more just on top of everything else in your life to take your life from fine to fine plus. And there's this sense that we often think of Jesus as one of those things that you could add on to everything else in your life. Um, everything's fine, but you know what you need? Jesus, because he's like a vitamin who will help you. You know, you'll sleep better in the morning if you've taken your Jesus today. Or, you know, what? I said that wrong. That's okay. um, but if Jesus is God, he's the starting point. He's not, that, he's not an add-on. Uh, if Jesus is God, he's going to come into your life and he's going to remodel everything. He is going to reorient your priorities. He is going to have something to say about every aspect of your life. Verse 18 says that in everything he might be preeminent. Listen, the one who is preeminent, the one who is God, doesn't come into your life and adjust himself to your schedule or my schedule. Your priorities or my priorities. Um, God doesn't come into your life. The one who is the one who is absolute cannot come into your life and become your personal assistant. I listened to a podcast this week. You know, it's the beginning of the year, you know, like Freakonomics or something like that, and they're talking about like six ways to be more productive in 2017. But that's not good enough, so it'll be like six indisputable laws for productivity in 2017. And I listen to a podcast like that, and I'm like, you know, I'll take about two and a half of those indisputable laws, right? Um, everybody is just giving good advice, and some of it's good advice, but you sort of take it and adjust it and leave the rest. And if Jesus is just a good teacher, then you kind of just take what he says, adjust it, take whatever you want out of it, and leave the rest. But if he's God, then he has to be the one that we reorder our lives around. Imagine this. Imagine if you had a friend who was sick, like deathly sick, and you went with your friend for moral support to the doctor. And you go in to see the doctor, and the doctor says, comes out and says, you know, I have good news and bad news. And uh, the bad news is you have a very rare but life-threatening condition, and uh, left untreated, you will be dead in a week. Oh, my gosh. But the good news is if you never eat chocolate again, you'll be fine. And you look at your friend and say, that's great news, right? And your friend goes, yeah, but no chocolate. I mean, what's the point? <laughs> right? <clears throat> Who wants to live without chocolate? 
Um, you know, when I was a college pastor, I would have conversations with college students that went something like this. You know, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, it all sounds pretty good, but I don't know, I've heard this rumor that if I'm a Christian, that I can't have sex before I'm married, so... No chocolate, you know, life isn't worth living without chocolate, right? Life isn't worth living without sex. Well, really? <laughs> now, many of us are married. Um, that's just where we live now. And uh, that might still be a conversation that we need to have, but I think there's another way that this happens, and it, and it might be something like, okay, sure, I'm a Christian, and, um, you know, I would believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he raised from the dead. Uh, I believe that that truth is the most important thing in my life, but, you know, sometimes I'm just like, life is hard and I'm tired and I'm trying to get my kids to things and we're trying to keep on top of everything and so I just I just don't feel like reading my Bible um, I'd just rather sleep in than get out of bed to make it to church on Sunday I just I, I don't have the energy to pray um, and let me just say like first of all I, I get it <laughs> I totally get it and if Jesus is just a good teacher then take everything he says with a huge grain of salt Take the good and leave the rest. There's no reason to change your life around him. But if Jesus is really God, and if he is really, you know, the absolute, if he is really preeminent, if he really is the firstborn of all creation, over all creation, uh, if the fullness of God dwells in him, then when he says that we, it is not good for us to give up meeting together, then he's saying come to church because it's good for you. He's saying, you know, uh, read my word because my people need to hear my voice. That's where you find life. What he tells us is good for us. If Jesus is God, then he is the, if he is the source of all life and beauty and truth and goodness, if he's the source of laughter and fun, and if knowing him means that in a sense that all of his, his beauty and truth and goodness come into you, then how can we say, I don't know, I think I'm going to sleep in. <laughs> how can we say that? I don't know how else to say I feel like I want to restate. I don't know how else to say that other than, gosh, like nobody loves to sleep in more than I do, okay? Yes. My wife knows, <laughs> right? But it's just sleep. And Jesus is offering us life. Jesus is the supreme one. We can't know him if anything else is supreme in our lives. If Jesus is the starting point, we can't know him as an afterthought. Now, if you're here thinking, I don't know if that's true, then that's great. Then that's fine, right? And, and, and I'm not saying, like, don't ask questions, don't explore. Of course. Um, all I'm saying is this, that if Jesus is God, he's better than chocolate, and he's better than sleeping in, and he's better than sex. Um, and if he's not, then who cares about anything that he says? But he can't just come into our lives like a vitamin supplement that says, you know, if you took your Jesus today, then you'll wake up feeling more healthy and restful the rest of tomorrow. Okay, Jesus is the starting point. He can't just be, if he's the starting point, he can't be an afterthought. But secondly, um, if Jesus is God, it means that your story finds meaning in his story. If Jesus is God, then the story of your life only makes sense in light of his life. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, these just the titles in this passage. Um, think about these as like the high, highlights of the story of Jesus. Um, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. He's the head of the church. He, in him is the fullness of God. And then he, he's dead, right? It's like he's born, he's the best, he's great, he's alive, he's full of life, and then he's dead. That's a, I didn't, wow, I didn't see that, like, plot twist coming. Um, the story of Jesus is the story of a glorious, the glorious God who gives up his glory and dies on a cross. And if um, Jesus is God, then it means that the story of your life will find its true meaning in his story. This past week, I, um, I'm on this like Facebook group with a bunch of friends who are pastors around the country, and somebody started this game, and um, the game is explain your favorite movie horribly. It's like a trivia game where you just, just you know, vaguely and in a really weird way describe a movie that you like, and then somebody has to guess what it is. And so we played this like a lot this week. <laughs> um, in the evenings, you know, we're still working hard. <laughs> But uh, so let me give you a couple of, so okay. Um, weird guy lures five children to his factory using candy, which is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Woman has the most amazing sandwich of her life, sparking others to have the same sandwich, which is when Harry met Sally. <laughs> Friends spend nine hours trying to return jewelry, which is Lord of the Rings. Um, but so we're going on like over and over and at some point I'm like you know almost all of these like half of these movies sound like they could be Star Wars um, so um, you know a story about a about a mean dad weird space does and, and also sells you know that could totally be Star Wars but it was Tree of Life uh, young man sublimates hostile relationship with his stepfather through high-risk activities and delusions of grandeur. Could be Star Wars, but it's hot rod. Angsty teen finds himself in a love triangle with his sister and his new cocky friend. That one actually is Star Wars. Um, you know, but over and over, like, at some point, if you, if you describe something um, without enough details, they all start to sound like Star Wars over and again, over and over again. And after a while, um, a friend, I said something about that, and a friend said it's because Star Wars was written deliberately um, so that, you know, the grand overarching, it's an epic archetypal story, right? And so in the midst of the grand narrative of Star Wars, it's not just about the big plot line, you know, it's about everything. Uh, it's about good versus evil. It's about you know finding and losing family. It's about where finding where you really belong, right? It's about triumphing and working hard, and you know so everything, if you state it vaguely enough, sort of ends up sounding like Star Wars. And um, while that's true for Star Wars and other epic or just long movies like Lord of the Rings, it's even more profoundly true when we look at the story of Jesus. Because the story of all of our individual lives find their true meaning and fulfillment in the light of the overarching story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. The form of Jesus' story gives us um, an explanation for the parts of our lives that haven't yet begun to make sense. And it also gives us a clue uh, as to what we should expect as we move into the future unknown parts of our own stories. 
In the middle of Jesus' story, there is an unexpected plot twist. He's born, he lives a perfect, beautiful life, and then he dies. But the reality is that um, every good story has a plot twist, right? Every story that's worth uh, reading, watching, listening to is a story about somebody who was safe and happy and wealthy who left home and got into trouble. And we just want the um, safe and home and wealthy part without the trouble. And so we try to avoid living our lives in a way that would look like, um, if it were a movie, it would be too boring to pay money to see. The story of Jesus. No one has left beauty, security, wealth like him. And nobody has lived a life that was as perfect and pure and beautiful as him. And no one has been as profoundly misunderstood or mistreated as him. It's the plot twist of all plot twists. And so that means two things. That if we're going to follow Jesus, the first thing it means is that we should not expect our lives to be absent the plot twists that you know, are part of his life. Um, we should not expect our lives to be free of unwanted obstacles like suffering or confusion and so on. It shouldn't surprise us, and it's really boring when it does. I mean, we wouldn't listen to us. We wouldn't watch a story like that. Um, I mean, think about this. Like, a really boring movie would be MIT employee solves math problem. But if the employee is a janitor and the math problem has stumped mathematicians forever, then that's actually really, you know, then that's goodwill hunting, just to be clear. Um, then it becomes an interesting story. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, is don't go like looking for trouble and suffering, but maybe don't try so hard to avoid it either. Because if that was um, sort of uh, the central, not maybe the only, but the climax, the plot twist of the story of Jesus, we shouldn't expect our life to be interesting without plot twists, right? We should expect that that sort of thing is going to happen in our lives too. Let's not try so hard to make sure that life just goes from comfort to ease to comfort to ease. But the second thing uh, is this, that the story of Jesus means that it, uh, the story of Jesus becomes the key to the unexplained plot twists in our lives. I'm sure that's probably a better way to do this, but like we just are in the middle of something as a family um, this week, and I don't, so I'm just going to talk about our, our unexplained plot twist as an illustration here. Um, so some of you who have been around for a while know that we've kind of, you've heard me talk about um, our housing situation. And, uh, you know, like, are we going to buy a house? Are we going to keep renting our house? And we've wanted to buy a house. And I think, like, just a couple weeks ago, we're like, you know what? We are just going to stay. We're going to rent our house. It's not perfect, but it, it, it's sufficient and it, and it works for us. And I think we had just decided, okay, we're just going to stay here for a while. And then Tuesday morning, we got an email from our landlord saying, we're going to sell the house. And so we're, like, in the middle of this plot twist going, we don't know what, God, what are you doing? We don't, we don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand why you're doing it. Um, but what we do know is that he's not just messing with us. Um, we don't know what he's doing. He might have been 
you know, working in us to get us over our housing idolatry. And now he's going to show us that he really loves us by giving us a nice house. Um, or he might be saying, hey, you know, I'm going to move you into a place where you're going to have new neighbors and you're going to meet new people and you're going to get an opportunity to share the story of Jesus with new people who you haven't met yet. Or he might be doing something totally different and I don't know what it is. Maybe he just thinks we have too much money and he's going to relieve us of more of that. <laughs> but he's not just messing with us. Um, he's working out his purposes in our lives and we don't know what the end point is yet. But we don't have to worry about it. I mean, I've been stressed. I'm talking to myself right now. But he's making our lives look more like his story of life and death and resurrection. And the good news of the story of Jesus is that it doesn't end in death. Right? It's not just life and death and things will always get worse, but it's, there's always resurrection. <coughs> and ultimately, Jesus' story doesn't end with resurrection, but it, he, he ascends into heaven. And he returns to glory. And the promise of Jesus is that we won't always know in the moment uh, the reason for what looks like death in the story of our lives. But his promise is that there will, there will always be resurrection in the next life, if not in this one. And that there will eventually be glory for us too, as he comes back for his people. Jesus has always been good to us. And I'm learning to look at the future in the midst of this house thing through the lens of what he is doing in, in my life. That he's been faithful to me and to his people in the past and that he will be good to us in the future. What about you? Uh, is your world becoming more clear? Are you beginning to see things more vividly, more clearly like they really are because you see who Jesus really is? Are you beginning to see in color? Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how exactly, um, how exactly this works, what it would look like to see things vividly because we see Jesus for who he really is. But let me just finish this morning with this challenge. Uh, one summer when I was in... Um, <coughs> When I was in college, I, was a, uh, I spent a week as a camp counselor. And, uh, for, you know, I was a camp counselor for like, uh, I don't know, 18 high school boys, and we lived in this cabin for a week. And the moment we walked into this cabin, it smelled so bad. <laughs> um, and part of it was like college or for, like, high school guys have been living there all summer, but I think there was literally like a rat had died like in the raft in the attic, and it was stunk so bad. And you just walked in there and then walked right back out. It was so bad. And I would go, how are we going to survive this for a week? But by day two, we didn't notice the smell at all. And people would come and, you know, like come into our cabin for the first time and be like, oh my gosh, how do you guys do that? And we're like, what do you, we don't even smell this anymore. It's, it's, it's fine. And the reality of life is that um, life tends to dull our senses. And human beings become really adept at avoiding some of the unpleasant realities of life and just learning to live with them. And, um, you know, I know I'm sort of mixing metaphors here, but before long, the gray of the world sort of begins to look normal. 
and we and it begins to look fine, and we say, well, I, you know, this Jesus thing, like I don't, everything's fine. Why do I need that? The stench on our nostrils doesn't even bother us anymore. Until like the colorblind man, somebody gives us a pair of lenses, and we put them on, and we begin to see, oh, this is what life is supposed to look like. And so my challenge and invitation to you is to come back, to join us for these next three weeks as we are going to look at what it looks like to see life as it really is, as we see Jesus as he truly is. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this uh, beautiful, majestic picture of Jesus in all of his glory. And I pray that um, these words that have been uh, sung and studied and people have written papers about and people have wept over um, would come alive to us. And that we wouldn't just see them, that we would see them and understand them. But as we do that, that we would also see everything else through them. That we would know and taste and see that you are bringing, um, that you are renewing all things. That through Jesus you have bought us life. That he is the um, preeminent one. And that our stories would begin to make more sense in light of who he is in his story. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.